Transformation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. We're going through our Dominion series. It's important to understand the Bible doctrine of Dominion that unfortunately, if you go into many churches of America and Canada today, you can spend an entire 52 weeks there every single Sunday and not miss one Sunday and you'll never even hear the word Dominion brought up. You'll never hear any sermon that revolves or focuses and centers in on what I'm about to say today. And it's a shame because it is truly uh, evidence throughout the entire scripture, and we're actually going to start today at the beginning, the very beginning. You cannot read Genesis 1 without hearing the word dominion. And I want you to write that in the comment section and follow Tasha's uh, lead. Write the word dominion in the comment section. Dominion, D-O-M-I-N-I-O-N, dominion. Let's read Genesis chapter 1 and beginning with verse 26. And God, this is the creation account. And God said, let us make man in our image. So I want to stop there. Whose image are we created in? We're not created in the image of an angel. We're not created in the image of a beast. God had already created before this all the beasts and the four-footed um, creatures that roam the earth, all the sea creatures and all the insects. He created it all in the Bible. It says that God, when he turned to create man, he did not create man in the image of any uh, beast, beastly-like figure, but rather he created us in his image. Image, imagos de Deo, that's the Latin, imagos de Deo, the Latin um, phrase for it. We were created in the image of God. You know, let me stop there and tell you that if anyone's told you that you were worthless or that you uh, didn't carry value in your generation, this one scripture can break that misconception off your mind and free you from thoughts of insecurity, inferiority, and condemnation and guilt. Because when God created you, he didn't create you as a second class being, he actually created you in his very own class. You look like God. You, you have the appearance of God. That's why the devil hates you so much. That's why the devil wants to pump into the schools of America and internationally this evolutionary theory that you've come from an animal like a chimpanzee and that you're no different than some bestial creature that lives by its senses and is, and, and is um, driven by impulse. You're not a bestial creature. You're not driven by impulse. You're not some accident that was caused by some cosmological cosmological occurrence that happened billions and billions of years ago. You know, I always find it interesting because yesterday I actually uh, forewent doing something with my son. We were going to go to a safari zoo and I actually canceled that because the, the, um, the forecast showed rain 90% all day. And when the day came, there was not one ounce, not one droplet of rain that came upon our foreheads or on our heads at all. There was not rain at all. 
And I always think, every time I see that, when the forecast gets it so wrong, and I don't know about you, but I've just been seeing it get, like, weather news, weather reports have been getting it more and more wrong, more consistently over the last few years than ever before. And I always think to myself, if these people can't tell me what's going to happen in six hours from now, am I really going to believe them as to what happened 60 billion years ago, 150 billion years ago. These people can't get three hours from now, right? And I'm going to listen and determine my philosophical beliefs and worldview based on what I think they, or, or what they think happened 150 to 200 billion years ago. No way, I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. You're not the result of two particles hitting together. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't a big bang. There was a big bang. You know what the bang was? There was a massive noise. You know what that noise was? It was God's word being spoken. Let there be light. And then there was a massive cataclysmic event that occurred whereby the universe, the planets, the stars, the earth was all formed and shaped in that very moment. But get, get, understand this. The devil wants you to believe the opposite. Because if you believe, if you go down that line of thinking, then you, you approach life with a very nihilistic point of view. Life came from nothing, and life will lead to nothing. And so we have no value. We have no worth. There's no point in living. And as long as the devil can get you to center in on that and let that bombard and dominate your mind, guess what? You're not going to do or attempt to do anything great for God. You're not going to take life seriously. You're going to think life is just a series of chance and luck and patterns of, of randomness. The Bible makes it very clear. When God moved to create man, he created man in our image, the image of God, Elohim's image. You know, that shows you that God sees you as very different than he sees a walrus or a seal. And I'm very wary when I hear all these humanitarian efforts to save the sea lions and save the seals and save the lions and save the polar bears. I'm not against saving the polar bears, but listen to me. Until every human being that's been made in God's image that has an eternal purpose and value to God, until every human being is brought into the ark. You know, it was Noah and his family that entered into the ark first, and then the animals. Until every human being has heard and received the gospel, I'm not going to gear my money, my efforts, my time, or my resources towards saving the white owls in Antarctica or wherever they live, in Siberia. My mission is towards getting the word of God pumped in to the hearts of people that were originally made in God's image, that by sin and through transgression lost the imago Deo, lost the image of God, lost the nature and glory of God, took on the nature of sin, but through Christ, now that nature called sin can be broken by his blood and the power of his blood can cleanse it and bring us back into that original state which is what we're going to get in. We are created in God's image. Listen to this, actually, just hitting on the image, because it's important you understand this first if you're going to understand dominion. Because who's the one that dominates all things? Who's the one that holds dominion over the entire universe? Who's the one that the Bible says heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool upon which he rests his feet? God. God 
is a dominating being. God, Jesus said, all authority, all dominion in heaven and on earth belongs to me. God, the Bible says, sits in the heavens and does whatever he wishes, whatever he desires to do. He is the Lord of heaven's armies and he governs, the Bible says, he governs times and seasons on the earth in that he makes some kings to rise and when he's done with them, he makes them to fall. Hallelujah. That matter of fact, it says the heart of a king is in the hand of the Lord and like the river of water, he can turn it wherever he wishes. God is, Jesus is called the king of kings. There's nobody that has an authority that's above his authority and nobody holds dominion over him. He is the dominating one. And the Bible says we are created in his image. So if we're created in the image, then obviously we have some sort or some level of dominion that perhaps you don't know about, you haven't tapped into, and because of it, you've actually surrendered that area to the enemy and to uncontrolled forces. But I'm going to show you in these next three days how you can take charge of your life, how you can assume the dominion that was lost in Adam but regained in Christ back into your life, how you can take control over the affairs of your life. We're going to get into that. Let me, get, let me make this clear to you. For all of you that struggle with thoughts of insecurity and thoughts of worthlessness, when Picasso draws a painting, when he drew a painting, and then he signed his name at the bottom of that painting and handed it off, and now it's been bought and sold and bought and sold throughout history, and now it's a historical, monumental painting. It's an artifact of the past that holds such value that Picasso paintings, original Picasso paintings, do not go for $50,000. They don't go for $500. They don't go for, some of them go for five, 10, 15, $20 million. Much value, much worth. Now, are people paying five, 10, $20 million because of the value of the paint that Picasso used? No. Are people paying that amount of money because of the value of the frame that Picasso used? No, it might not even be in its original frame. Are people paying that amount of money because of the amount of time perhaps Picasso used in order to complete the painting. No. Why do people pay that amount of money, this absurd amount of money, for a piece of paper that's not made of gold, not made of silver, does not have diamonds anywhere, no inherent value within the actual paper itself upon which he painted and generated this masterpiece of a painting, this abstract painting, why do people pay $50 million, $20 million, $10 million? I'll tell you why. They pay absurd amount of money because of a little signature that's at the bottom of the page and the authenticity of the image that proves that its originator, its creator was indeed Picasso. Let me make something clear to you. You hold tremendous value that the Bible even says God was willing to shed the blood and sacrifice his only begotten son so that he can buy you back. Redeem means to be purchased back. Purchased back. You know, the value in the clothing item that you buy is in the receipt. The receipt. When you go back, if you want to return your pair of pants and you go back to that uh, store that clothing store, they're going to ask you for the receipt. Why? Because the receipt proves how much you paid and how much they'll reimburse you on. You know, we have a receipt, a receipt as to 
how much God paid to redeem us from the reign of terror the enemy had established over our life. And the receipt doesn't show money. The receipt doesn't show gold artifacts and silver artifacts. The receipt does not show any type of angel's blood. The receipt doesn't show any type of uh, elementary uh, elementary sacrifice in that it was earth, wind, fire, and water. The receipt shows... Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, we were redeemed not by perishable items such as silver and gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb without spot and without wrinkle. Hallelujah. He shed his blood. That that in itself should show you how much you are prized in the eyes of God. You're not some disposable garbage. You're not some object that God sees as trash. I don't care if your parents have berated you and maybe other people have down-talked towards you and you've you've bought the lie, this misconception and deception that you're just some irrelevant thing, a pawn in God's game of chess. I'm here to remind you that God literally emptied heaven to purchase your soul back into good standing with him the bible says god so loved the whole world that he gave everything heaven had to offer his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life you value to god i want you to write that in the comment section i'm i hold value with god i hold value with god I hold value with God. Why do people buy that $20 million Picasso? Why? Because of the name etched on it and the, the authenticity of, of, it, of it. That it really was traced back to Picasso's hand holding that paintbrush. In the same vein, we bear in our body the mark, the signature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You have a creator. You're not a blob of energy. You're not a blob of cells. That's what they try to teach people to get on board with abortion. That a, 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 an unborn baby is a blob of cell. No. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, you were consecrated to the nations as a prophet. God had a plan for you before your parents even planned for you. God had a plan for you before your parents ever even planned for you. You're not an accident. Man, I feel to tell someone this today. You're not an accident. The devil wants to keep you in that trap of deception so as to keep you out of what I'm talking about today. The dominion mandate that you now carry. The devil's not over your head. He's not eye to eye with you. He's under your feet. As long as you think you're some worthless chump in God's system, that he's just using you. God's not looking for people to use and abuse. God's looking for people to bless. Hallelujah. You have to realize, I am made in God's image. That's why the devil hates you so much. Because everything he wanted, everything he strived for, everything he was believing for, everything he was working for to sit above God... 
and to sit like God in the temple of God. The Bible says he wanted to be like God. He wanted to have the similitude of God. He wanted to have the image of God. Everything he wanted, he got his rear end kicked out of heaven for. He got banished from the presence of God. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning and there's no more room found for him in the presence of God. And so since he cannot take up his Beef with God, what do you think he does? He goes to second best. He goes to that which looks like God. He goes to those that are made in the image of God. Since I can't get to him and I'm, I, I, and it's useless to even try, I'm going to shake my fist and use my energy and form weapons against those that are made in his image because that's the best he could ever get. The good news is there's no weapon formed against you as a righteous person that could ever prosper. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Hallelujah. Do you know the word godly comes from the old English? Godlike. We've condensed it to godly, godliness. But you understand godliness means godlikeness? That if you're going to strive to be godly, then you have to strive to be like God on the earth. Hallelujah. And I don't mean that in a, heretical form in that you now see yourself as God on the earth. No, I'm saying, you know, when they started to call Christians, Christians, the very word Christian in the Greek means like Christ. It means like Christ. So they saw their master going around casting out devils. Then they saw these people that were like Christ casting out devils. They saw their master healing the sick. Then they also witnessed Peter, James, and John healing the sick. So they said, these men are Christians. They're like Christ. We saw the Son of God do it, and now we're seeing the other sons of God do it. Bible says, as many as received Christ, to them gave he power to become sons of God. God-like. Bible even says Paul told the Ephesian church that you should, as beloved children, be imitators of God. Hallelujah. The world should see, when they look at your life, they should see. They might be in this world. They might look like others in this world. They actually bear a striking resemblance to some of my cousins. However, the way they live and operate and function proves that they are otherworldly. That they're not citizens of this globe. That they carry a citizenship and a way of living, a lifestyle that is heavenly. Hallelujah. And I'm going to show you today. Because today we're going to talk about what is dominion. Tomorrow we're going to talk about who has dominion. And then Friday we're going to talk about what do we have dominion over. And in these three days, I'm telling you, the God-likeness is going to come on you. There's going to be an impartation of this dominion mindset that God carries into your own mentality. And fundamental beliefs that you hold to are going to be challenged by the word of God. But that's okay. Because that's exactly how God wants to take you into another level. Change is uncomfortable. Conviction is uncomfortable. The gospel and the word is an offense to those that are set in their ways. But to those that truly are disciples of Christ, the Bible says they will abide in my word and they will search out and seek the truth and they will know the truth and the truth will wash away the washing of the water of the word. The water, the water of the word will wash away worldly philosophies, religious traditions, and the word of God, like the seed that it is, the incorruptible seed that it is, 
it will sow into your heart proper biblical training that will cause you to rise up and be more than a conqueror in your generation. You're far too valuable. We're going back to value with God. The reason why I really want you to understand this dominion message today is because you're far too valuable to God and redemption has made you to be too high, to too high up, way too high up for you to struggle with sickness and disease. Redemption has repositioned you way too high up and elevated on a rock higher than your enemies for you to be bound by satanic vices. God has raised you up in Christ, seated in heavenly places, far too above principalities and powers for you to be bound by sin and addiction one more hour. Who said you should stay sick? Who said you should stay poor? Who said you have to stay depressed and anxious and bound by fear? That is a deception of the enemy to keep you entangled in his trap of lies. But today, the truth of God's word is going to illuminate your spirit and the kingdom of heaven. Though it suffers violence, you're going to take it by force today. In Jesus' mighty name, hallelujah. Type amen in the chat if you believe that with me. If you're just joining me right now, you'd do me a great service if you help me by sharing this broadcast. There's going to be different broadcasts. These aren't going to be just teaching. I'm preaching. I'm preaching through these broadcasts. I'm preaching deliverance to the captives. I'm preaching healing to the sick. I'm preaching dominion over devils so that you can rise up into your God-given place of authority today and not put up or tolerate or placate the devil any longer, but to put him under your feet where he belongs. According to our likeness, let them, if you have a highlighter and you're reading with me in your Bibles, highlight this. Let them have dominion over. Let them have dominion over. Over what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Over, highlight that. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it or have dominion over it. Subdue it. Dominion is about subduing things under you. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. So some people, they say, well, you know, that's the beginning creation of God. We lost that. We lost all of that. That, that was a good day. But now, even though Christ has come, you know, the, the, the fulfillment of that will happen one day when we get to heaven. Yes, the ultimate fulfillment of it will happen one day where we will be made kings and priests in, in our God and Savior and we will actually rule. We will rule the new heaven and the new earth with Christ. He's the king of kings and we will be royal governors, royal priests on the earth to govern the affairs. We're going to set laws. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be the, the law and the order. In, in that new kingdom that will come. However, there's a first fruit of that ultimate redemption that we get to enjoy now. Listen to this. Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says this. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. 
and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him, you have made who? Man, he's talking about man. You have made man to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. Yes, all things are under Christ's feet, but because we're in the body of Christ, all things have been made to be put under our feet as well. You have put all things under his feet. Hallelujah. Skip to one more verse. Because I'm going to make sense. Because some people I know for sure are having questions pop up. Well, I understand. I'm reading with you right now. I see that in the Bible. But, you know, doesn't God have sovereignty over everything anyways? Doesn't he just, what he wants happens? And there's no way we can, we can, uh, there's no way we can, we can change things for our favor. Or there's no way we can determine seasons in life. I'm going to show you something. Psalm 115, verse 16. Listen to this. The heaven... Even the hot, sorry, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So the Bible makes it clear here. God in his sovereignty has given over to man dominion to govern the affairs of this earth. Dominion to have life your way in light of what the scriptures promise you. Because there's a lot of people that say, well, God is sovereign. What he wants will happen, and there's nothing you can do or move towards that will change that from happening. Meaning, if God sees it fit that this depression comes, if God sees it fit that anxiety plagues your mind until Jesus takes you home, if God sees it fit that the devil uh, has a, a play date with you every single day of your life, and you're just a victim of his onslaught of terror and horror all your life then that's just how life is going to be and there's nothing to change it but this scripture makes it very clear that yes the heaven even the lord's the heavens are the lord's but even though the earth is his footstool he has given the earth over to the dominion of the children of men god in his sovereignty has given the author author authority he has authorized man's dominion on the earth. God has authorized man's dominion on the earth. What is that dominion? What is dominion? Very clearly, dominion is a God-given authority to take charge over the issues of your life to make them come into alignment with God's written word and will. Dominion is subduing opponents that come against the covenant of God under your feet. Dominion is the art of subduing the kingdoms of darkness under you. Hebrews 11.33, through faith, they subdued kingdoms, the Bible says. That's what faith empowers you to do. Faith is the dominion, is how you release your dominion on the earth to subdue the kingdoms of darkness under you and whatever they might be attempting to do against you. Dominion is what gives you the victory over these different efforts and weapons that may be formed against you so that they don't prosper. Dominion simply said is having it your way every day regardless 
of the devil. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's given us authority to dominate the earth. Jesus had no plan. Think of it this way. Jesus had no plan to heal the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. But that woman understood that she could place a demand on the anointing of Christ and as such, subdue this physical affliction under her feet. Jesus had no plan to heal her, but she took charge over that physical sickness in her body by demanding it to leave, putting a demand on it. If I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. She placed a demand, and that's essentially what dominion is. Dominion is understanding that life does not give you what you deserve. Life gives you what you demand. Life does not give you what you deserve. Life gives you what you demand. Let's say that again. Life does not give you what you deserve. Life will give you what you demand. She could have sat there and said, well, I guess I deserve this. This is an original sin. We live in a fallen world. No. She understood that Jesus was walking about, doing good, healing all, and she placed a demand on that power so as to dominate the issue that she had been suffering with for 12 years. People go through cycles of suffering and demonic opposition for years on years, decades, not realizing that all power and authority has been given to Christ. And then Christ said, now I give you the keys of dominion on the earth and what you bind. So it's not in God's court, it's in your court. Religion teaches you the opposite because religion doesn't have power. So they have to come up with excuses. Oh, God's leading you through this. Oh, God's going to give you. There's a season coming. You'll make sense of it one day. Religion has to come up with all these scapegoats because people are coming to them for answers and solutions and they don't got it, so they've got to come up with excuses. But the Bible's not a book of excuses. The Bible's a book of covenant and covenant that brings power to liberate people from problems that they're suffering with. When you understand that, you realize the responsibility is on me. I have the power to bind because of the keys of dominion that Jesus gave me. I have the power to lose. I don't allow life to control me. I control life by coming in line with the word of God and confessing and declaring only that which is written in it. When life gives you lemons, how many of you know you can just make lemons? No, you can take the lemon and you can cut it up and squeeze it back into life's face and then take what belongs to you by redemption. See, religion doesn't teach a fight. Religion, religion doesn't teach quit ye like men and fight. There's no fight to it. There's just layover, accept whatever comes your way. Dominion teaches the complete opposite. And that's why it goes against the grain of what is preached oftentimes in Western Christianity because Western Christian conferences, go to any Western Christian conference. Not any, that's not true. There are many great ones. But go to 90%, 95% of them. And all they teach is coping mechanism. All they teach is mental gymnastics on how to keep mentally grounded through it all let me make something clear to you mark chapter 4 when jesus was on that boat with his disciples he wasn't there when the storm was coming 
and they woke him up from his sleep, from his nap, he didn't get up and say, hey, 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 throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Do it right now. I'm an anchor in the storm. I'm a great anchor. Throw me overboard. And I'll anchor you. First of all, anybody with any type of nautical experience understands you don't anchor in a storm. That's the stupidest thing you can do. You're going to tear your boat up anchoring in a storm. The, those waves will knock you out. You don't anchor in a storm. Acts 27, when they were in a storm, they let the, they let the boat run its course. You don't anchor in a storm. It's the worst idea. A bunch of idiots that don't understand not, uh, the nautical life. Trying to preach things. How many of you know he's our... doesn't say he's our anchor in the storm. It says he's our anchor within the veil. Meaning he's the one that brings us into the presence of God. Doesn't say anything about anchor in the storm. Stop making up your own little preconceived judgments of Christ outside of the confines of scriptures. All because it makes you feel giddy on the inside. Didn't say throw me overboard guys. I'm going to anchor us in this storm. He also didn't gather his disciples around him and say, hey, guys, hold hands. Father, we just ask you for comfort right now. We just pray during this stormy season that you'd get. He didn't do that. What did Jesus do? He got up, and the Bible says he took dominion over the storm. Hush, be still. The strongest Aramaic you can say shut up in. Hush, be still. And immediately the storm subsided and there was a great calm and peace on the entire sea. So much so that Peter, who had never, ever, who had, who had been on the sea his entire life and had never seen it that calm, spoke up and he said, I've never seen the seas this calm in my entire life. Jesus didn't comfort them in the storm. Jesus didn't anchor them in the storm. Jesus didn't try and just, we're going to get through the storm. Jesus took authority and dominion over the storm. and caused it to subside. That's what dominion does. See, most of, most of religious Western teaching tells you to just ask God for comfort. God will give you the peace to get through it. God will give you a good attitude to get through it. The Bible teaches a different story. That when the enemy sends a storm against your life, it is God's will. Because what God did through Jesus in that storm is what God wants to do through his word in your storm today. But as long as you believe, you just got to go through it. As long as you accept just comfort, God will give you comfort if you accept the comfort. But there's a higher level. You don't have to just take the comfort. You can take the keys of dominion and start to be like Christ was on the earth. Jesus, everywhere he went, he, he, was, he was a torment to the devil. Everywhere he went, he was subduing darkness under his feet. What was in Christ is in you to accomplish the very same thing in your life, in your family, in your business, in your health, and in your region. Hallelujah. So stop believing that th this wrong idea that if, if you're going through, if it came your way, then it must have been God that sent it. And when he sees it fit to release me from this battle, then I'll finally have the victory. God's will, he'll, it's what he wants. You know, God's will is sovereign. There's nothing we can do about it. Just got to accept it and make the best out of it and keep a good attitude through it all. Do you understand God's will is not always accomplished on the earth? Do you understand that there are things 
that get done on the earth that are outside God's will. I was just telling a testimony last week of Gordy, the guy in Saskatoon, homeless man, 46 years doing drugs. He put a shotgun, a 12 gauge in his mouth and he pulled the trigger. Do you think it was his God's will for, for him to die there? No, and obviously it wasn't because the gun jammed and he ended up living. But regardless, there's people that kill themselves every single day. On the earth, there's people killing themselves right now. Do you think it's God's will for them to die from a, a, a rope or a bullet to their head? Do you think it's God's will for people to go to hell? No, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the truth. Do you think it was God's will for Adam and Eve to sin? No, he had no will for that. He wanted to give them free choice, but that tree of good and evil was not planted there for them to stumble. It was there for them to have freedom of choice because God didn't want robots. He wanted people to love him genuinely and obey him from the sincerity of their heart. Did they sin? Yes. Was that God's will? No. Was it God's will for Abraham to have Ishmael? No. He said, I'm going to give you a child by Sarah. It was not God's will, but it happened. Was it God's will for Israel to have a king? 1 Samuel 8, 7. God tells Samuel, hey, listen. They've rebelled not against you. They've rebelled against me. They've not rebelled against you, Samuel. They've rebelled against me in asking for a king, yet nevertheless give them a king. And then began the monarchy. Before it was a theocracy, Israel. They answered to Samuel the prophet who heard from God. But after that, it came into a monarch style of, of government. Because the people demanded a king. Did God say, no, I don't care what they demand. I'll give them what I want. No. He said, the people demand a king. Give them a king. Go and get Saul. Was it God's will for Israel to wander through the wilderness 40 years? After they came out of, Israel, out of Egypt? No. God actually had a 21-day trajectory to bring them from Egypt to the promised land. But you read in Hebrews, it was their own hardened heart that would not obey God's voice that was always fashioning up idols, golden calves in their hearts that caused them to go 40 years because he sworn his wrath. He would never allow them to enter into his rest. It was never his will. His will was to bring them from Egypt to Canaan within 21 days. Their own deliberate disobedience brought them through the wilderness for 40 years. The Bible says in Luke 13, 34, how Jesus looking to Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've desired to take you in as a bird or a hen takes its chicks under his wings, it, its wings, but you were not willing. So he wept over Jerusalem saying, I want to help you. I want to take you and I want to provide you with refuge. But he said, you were not willing. It was Jesus's will to gather the Jews under his salvation redemptive plan they were not willing there were pharisees that came to jesus to battle an argument with him and jesus says that the pharisees were not willing to be baptized by him it's not that they that god didn't want to baptize them and cleanse them it's that luke 7 says the pharisees were not willing to be baptized by him so god's will is not always not always accomplished And if you have this mind, this sovereignty mentality where whatever is happening in life must be God-ordained, God-commissioned, and as such, 
Just flow, flow with the boat. Let me tell you something. Don't confuse commission with permission. God can permit something, but it doesn't mean he commissioned that thing. God can permit. It doesn't mean he commissions. God will permit you to go and rob a bank tomorrow and kill people in doing it. He does not, he did not commit it. He did not commission it. God will permit you to stick a needle in your arm and put some sort of opioid in you. He did not commission it. It's actually diametrically opposed to that which he desires to do. The enemy has a will. You have to understand, in life, there's not just God in you, and that's where people miss it. Just They, they have this two-being understanding of life. There's people and there's God. There is a God. He has a will. There is you. You are neutral. But there's also a devil. A, de a devil that the Bible says is throwing fiery darts against you to knock you out of the race. And you as the neutral have the responsibility of either linking yourself up with one of those two powers. You have the power of God flowing through and you have the power of the enemy and the enemy's will that's constantly coming by you every single day. And you as the neutral have the responsibility to either tag on to the devil's will by believing his lies or tag on to God's will by believing his truth. And the enemy will gladly take advantage of anyone that is a victim of his lies. He'll gladly bombard, take advantage of, and continue to prevail against anyone that is not resisting him. So the Bible says you can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. It's the truth of God that empowers you to resist against the enemy. It's the shield of faith that empowers you to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. John, uh, James chapter 4 says, whatever you don't resist will continue to, to, to remain in your life. Submit to God. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. So the enemy must be resisted. That's where this dominion message comes into play. It's going to give you tools and necessary equipment and truth from the word to resist the devil. So that you're not his playing ground. So that you're not uh, some object he can throw around like a fish he can just whack you over the head with. So that instead of you being the harassed, you can be the one harassing him. Whatever you don't resist, though, will have a right to remain. Whatever you don't confront will have a right to conquer you. Goliath has to be confronted. The devil must be resisted or he will remain. As long as the Israelites refuse to confront the national blasphemer of Israel called Goliath, he continued to bark. But the moment David rose up with his one smooth stone, knocked him out, took his head off, and dealt with the issue, that was it. You can complain about Goliath. 
You can try and pray about Goliath, but there's no prayer necessary for Goliath. There's just the weapons of our warfare that were designed to take Goliath's head off his shoulders and bring you into victory. The enemy must be violently resisted. He's not a gentleman. You cannot treat him as such. The number one key to asserting your dominion over the devil today is understanding that if I don't do anything, I can't pawn this off to God. There are things you pray for. Direction in life, counsel, guidance, who to marry. But then there's things God has given you the power and dominion and authority to, to, to do something about. No one prayed. David didn't even pray about Goliath. David picked up the weapon he knew how to use and by the spirit of the Lord in him killed Goliath. No prayer necessary. There's sometimes people you, they, they, they overemphasize. They overemphasize the power of the devil and they stretch out his limitations as to what he can do and make excuses. Now, being light of that, that's why I'm going through these things. Well, you realize Goliath, all he could do was talk. He actually wasn't a great fighter. He wasn't a great fighter. When you start to realize the devil has limitations. And I set his limitations as to what he's allowed to do in my life. Then a violent nature rises up in you to make sure he doesn't even get an inch. He doesn't even get an inch. Look at the early church. They didn't give the devil one inch. In the book of Acts, there's not one prayer given to the devil. They didn't pay him attention. That's what dominion does. Dominion empowers you to live as though the devil were a non-issue. I'm not saying he doesn't exist. The devil exists. But the, the dominion mandate that God gives you empowers you to live in such a way that the devil, it's almost as if he doesn't exist. He's a non-issue. You hear some Christians talk. All they ever talk about was the devil. All they ever hear, all you ever hear come out of their mouth is demonic talk. You go to some churches, all they ever sing about is the devil. Satan, we bind you, we come against you. All they ever, why are we singing to the devil? Why are we giving him an inch in our services? I didn't come to gather to sing and worship the devil. I came and gathered to sing and worship God. Giving him way too much audience, giving him way too much influence, giving him way too much Permission. Dominion cuts off the permission of the enemy to have one inch in your life. And I tell you in the name of Jesus, these three days, whatever room that you've allowed the enemy to have, whatever foothold he has gripped on you, in the name of Jesus, we're cutting his hand off today. In the name of Jesus, we are evicting him from your life. In the name of Jesus, he is losing any type of stronghold, any type of influence, any type of space. Whatever real estate that you've allotted to him, in Jesus' name, he's out. He's out. He's out. We're booting him out. We're kicking him out. Satan be gone in Jesus' name. Satan get lost in Jesus' name. Early church wasn't praying about the devil. Paul's not praying about the devil. What were they doing? Casting out devils. 
How? Just by being filled with the Holy Ghost and being the light of this world. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of this world. But now that I'm going, you are the light of this world. Does light have to pray about darkness? No. That, that's what this message is going to do. Some of you have spent way too much of your prayer life talking about the devil. Some of you have spent way too much of your prayer life bringing the devil up, bringing his tactics up. Some of you have spent way too much of your prayer life focused on deliverance from this and that. God wants you to pray about souls. God doesn't want you to pray about Satan. God wants you to pray. Let what, You hear the Lord's Prayer. There's just a little tiny segment that says, deliver me from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. But the whole entire prayer is, is about other things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And yet you have spent most of your prayer life Praying for deliverance, praying for relief from satanic influence in your life. In the name of Jesus, this message over the next three years is going to cause you to come out of that line of thinking. The devil's no longer going to be a prayer point in Jesus' name. The devil's no longer going to be an object of concern in your life in the name of Jesus. On the flip side, you're coming in to hell's most feared list. Because of the things you're going to come into the knowledge of through these broadcasts. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' name. Not one prayer about the devil in the entire New Testament. Some of you are saying, well, you know what? You can say that. It's easy for you to say that. You, 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 you probably had a good life. Actually, I had an incurable mental disorder for most of my life before I got saved. So I had to use this. I had to learn this, and I had to implement it. And it's what brought me into today. But even at that, if you think your life, you know, you don't know what family I came from. It's exactly why this message is of utmost importance for you. For those of you who have been dealt with a bad card in life, bad hand in life, this message is what's going to allow you to see... That when the devil does attack, which he does attack, I'm not ignoring that. That's why I'm talking about this. I'm talking about dominion over all the power of the devil for a reason, because he does attack. But Luke 9 says, I've given you power over all the power of the devil, I've given you dominion over all the power of the devil to trample him under your feet. So I'm not ignoring the fact that the devil does attack. The devil does attack. But this message will empower you to attack back. To have a counterattack. You don't need to tolerate everything sent your way. I give this example quite often. If you get a package delivered to your home from FedEx and you didn't order anything, you can return to sender. I didn't order that. I didn't order that. I don't want that. It's not my portion. The devil is going to send packages your way. He'll always do that. You have to learn to slam the door, check that box. Return to sender and ship it back to hell where it belongs. You start to realize when you read the Bible what belongs and doesn't belong to you. Healing belongs to me. Sickness doesn't belong to me. So if sickness comes knocking on my door, guess what? Return to sender. It's not my portion. I don't accept it. I don't receive it. 
The devil attacks, attack back. Not only do I not, not receive that, I'm going to use my hands to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Attack back. So what the, look at the early church, the apostles. Not only were there, not one record of the apostles ever being sick, not only was there not any record of that, there's record of them carrying an overflow of dominion power over sickness so that even the shadow of Peter falling on people was healing their sick. Hallelujah. Who told you you have to be sick? Who told you you have to be bound? Who told you you have to keep in sin? Who told you you have to struggle with addiction? Who told you life is a battle with demons day in, day out, and there's no relief? No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and against all the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But the Bible says put on the full armor of God so that you can stand and you can move and you can run the race that is set before you with perseverance and blasting out every obstacle that might get in your way. Who told you life's about? Against the devil. Keeping your head guarded against the devil, just hoping he doesn't hit you too hard that you get knocked. No. Who said that life's supposed to be like that? Doesn't come from the word. It's like, I feel like Paul writing to the Galatian church. Who bewitched you? Who bewitched you? It's a witchcraft. That the enemies use to get you to think. You just have to fight him the rest of your life. The Bible doesn't even say fight the devil. It says fight the good fight of faith so you can lay hand, lay hold of the things Jesus paid for you to obtain. I'm not fighting the devil. He's too cheap. He's too under my feet for me to worry about him one day. He's too weak. He's too defeated. He's too emaciated for him to be your worry every single day. Who, any preaching that makes you paranoid about the devil is a preaching that Satan himself is applauding. Who told you you have to be paranoid schizophrenic about the devil? He's the one that should be paranoid about you. You have dominion. We read it before. I've given you dominion over all the work of my hands, God said. Is Satan not the work of his hands? Yes. Lucifer, a created being. And God said, I've given you dominion over all the work of my hands. What is dominion? Dominion is getting disgusted with the thing that was sent to destroy you to the point where you rise up to counterattack it with the word of God to obtain the victory in that area. Dominion does not be, mean unchallenged. Dominion means challenges are inevitable. Defeat is not an option. Hallelujah. Challenges are inevitable. Defeat is not an option. You'll never, be, you'll never have dominion over something you're not disgusted with. Get disgusted with the devil's mess. Get disgusted. Man, the same feeling you have if you sin, you should have with sickness in your body. I'm disgusted with that. I am a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm not made to be defiled by demons and spirits of infirmity. I'm made to carry overflowing strength so that I can be an agent of change and deliverance in my generation.
I'm, you get disgusted. If any sin you're not disgusted with, you'll never, you'll never dominate. The Bible says sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Well, the first step you're going to take over ha not having sin uh, or over the first step you need to take if you're going to have dominion over sin is to get disgusted with that sin. I'm disgusted with the thought of doing that. Not permitting it. I'm not allowing it. Enough is enough. Not giving it room. That's what happened with me in OCD. I got disgusted with it. Wait, I'm a child of Abraham? And this is Satan's binding? This is Satan's bondage? I'm a child of Abraham. Freedom is my portion. And this is Satan's bondage? It's like disgusting. How are you? It's like if someone put their hands in mud and came and touched, you would be, don't even touch me with that. That's how you should feel towards satanic bondage. Don't even touch me with that. Who do you think you are? You know, I really pray the mind. You really see dominion in the life of Elijah. And I'm going to finish off with this. And I'm going to pray that the eyes of your understanding are going to be opened these next three days to catch this word that's going to change your life. You're going to get a faith that will not only change your world, it will change the world. Second Kings, listen to this. You see this dominion illustrated so well in the life of Elijah. And the king sent a captain of 50 with his men to Elijah to arrest him. So he went up to him and there he was sitting on the top of the hill. And as he was sitting there, he spoke to him, man of God, the captain sent to arrest Elijah, man of God. Come down here. Elijah answered to the captain and said, If I be a man of God, let fire come from heaven and consume you and your 50. Man, I pray that if I be a man of God, if I be a woman of God, mentality gets on you. I'm not destined for bondage. I'm not destined for sickness. I'm not destined for poverty. I'm not destined for lack. I'm not destined to be the devil stomping grounds. I'm the stomper. If I be a man of God, let fire come and burn that thing out of my life right now. If I be a, some of you women have to stand up because your husband's not a believer and your children are under your spiritual authority now and some of you have to rise up and say, if I be a woman of God, let fire burn up that attack against my children. I'm putting up an impenetrable fence around my home today. A shield of faith that's going to wither up and extinguish every arrow the enemy tries to fly my way my children don't belong to anyone but God if I be a man of God let fire come down from heaven that's not okay how many of you know sometimes we need to get consequences for what we that's not you don't see some passive patsy neutered Christianity here you don't see some just go with the flow. He's, Lord, what are you teaching me through all this? You don't see that. You see, if I be a man of God, let fire come. Now I'm not saying call fire down against your boss. You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. But I'm talking about anything that has hell as its origins. You have greater 
Elijah didn't even have what you have because Elijah wasn't seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Elijah didn't have the blood of Jesus. Elijah didn't have the word of God like we have it in the New Testament revealing everything Christ came to do. You, Elijah didn't have a, even a fraction of what we have today. Elijah didn't have the name of Jesus. We have all of those weapons of dominion afforded to us that we can utilize and enforce our dominion on the earth. Our dominion. I want you to write that in the comment section. I have dominion. I have dominion. I have dominion. I have dominion. Let me pray for you. We're going to close right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone watching this right now. I ask you, Lord, as Paul asked for the Ephesians church, I ask you that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your word, that the eyes of our understanding would be open so that we can see the riches of your glory, the inheritance of the saints, the surpassing greatness of your power and dominion towards us who believe, which you wrought in Christ Jesus when you raised them from the dead. I pray like David prayed, open up our eyes to behold the wonders of your law and let faith arise in their hearts to not just hear a good word, but to apply that which was received from the word of God so that they might see its harvest produced in their life. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that those that have been suffering under the fist of the enemy would begin to, from this day, do the punching. Those that have been suffering unnecessarily because of ignorance, the onslaught of attacks from hell, that today, not only would they break free from that, but that in the area that they were dominated in, that they would hold dominion in, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray, Father, that you would raise up the army of Joel that you prophesied in Joel chapter 2. People whose there's no fear in their eyes. People who are not praying about the devil, but that are taking ground. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, in these couple of broadcasts that we're moving into, as we talk about who has dominion and what do we have dominion over, I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be one area represented in anyone's life today that would be characterized by struggle, by failure or defeat. For the struggle is not real, but the struggle is over because Jesus said it was finished. And due to the finished work of the cross, I thank you, Lord, that you've made us more than conquerors, to always triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. To, like your word says in 1 John 5, 4, overcome this world and no longer be bound by its limitations or by any resistance. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, I loose that into the faith of God is rising in your spirit. From victim to victor, in Jesus' name. You're going from being bullied to being the bully. Hallelujah. There won't be one area. Finances, health, emotions, family, marriage. There won't be one area by the time we're done these three days that you don't have overwhelming dominion over. I see things. Your story changing by Friday. I really, I feel that in my spirit. Your story is changing by Friday. Your story is changing by Friday. 
Did I not? Moses, I have made you a God unto Pharaoh. This teaching is going to empower you to be a devil master overnight. A devil master. The devil's not your master. The devil is not the one giving the orders. The devil's the one taking the orders in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks for joining me today. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.